Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. Our vision is to extend and establish the influence of the kingdom of God by equipping the saints for the work of ministry. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. I want to follow on and we'll, we'll refer to it a little bit later on. I want to follow on from the prophetic word that Pastor Andreas gave us a couple of weeks ago. Do you remember that? Well, then I guess it's a good thing I'm going to be reminding you, because <laughs> clearly not many remi- remember. During our time of worship last week, so what, two, two weeks ago, it wasn't a part of, 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 he didn't come and minister a prophetic word per se, but during our time of worship, a prophetic word was given. And I want to just begin speaking into that. Part of the mandate that came from that prophetic word is that we are entering a time of preparation before we head into next year. Amen? Do you remember that? There are some things that God has already laid on my heart to share with you and that we need to establish going into next year so that we can eat the good of all that God wants to do and impart in the next season that He's, that he's leading us into. Preparation, what does that mean? It means we make ourselves ready for that which is to come. If you're not ready and it comes, what happens? You miss it. So, for example, I'm just speaking to somebody this morning who is busy learning and training and practicing for her driving lesson, for her driving exam, driver's license exam. Now, if she doesn't prepare, if she doesn't learn the K53 method, if she doesn't know what's expected of her, guess what's going to happen? She's going to fail. She's not going to achieve that which she hopes for and what she desires. And I want to say this, there are hopes and dreams and desires that God has over your life that He is calling you into and He is preparing you for. Last week, Stephen and Siobhan led us through Ephesians, chapters 1 and 2. On Wednesday night, they took us through chapter 3. But I'm reminded as we, as we look here at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says this, for we are His workmanship. We are made by God. That, work, that word workmanship is, a, is a, a beautiful word because it's got far more meaning than just something that is made. When you make something, you put your heart and soul into it. Now that word workmanship, in, if, you, if you take it back to its root meaning and its root understanding, it's we, are, we are a poem written by God. It's what that actually means. Poem, poetic language is language of the heart. It's not language of the mind. It's language of the heart. It comes from deep within. It's creative. It, it's expressive. So when that word says that we are God's workmanship, he's saying that there's, there's the heart of God, the creativity of God has been poured out into us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. So what is this season about? This season is about God preparing us for that which He has already prepared for us. Many of you parents spent years saving for your children's tertiary education. You prepared for what they were being prepared for. It's a good analogy. 
And there are things that God has prepared for you and for me, and He desires for us to walk in them. The, the, the goodness of those things that He has prepared are both for the kingdom, so it's, it's bigger than you and it's bigger than me. It's not just for my blessing. It's for the kingdom. These are kingdom works. But the blessing of those kingdom works will be, will be an impact here in my life, but even better than that, an impact echoing into eternity. You see, when we begin to discover what it is that God has created us for, we begin to unlock the gifts and the anointings that God has placed within us to achieve that very thing. When we don't know, we strive and we struggle and we try a bit of this and we try a bit of that. Take the old mantra, have a go, you never know. Maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. But I don't believe God desires for us to live that way. And so what I believe this season is all about is it's a time of seeing things, God is calling us to begin looking at things from a different point of view. When I begin to see things from a different point of view, I begin to process them differently. I assimilate them differently. I see this in my marriage. When my wife and I are in tune, things work out. We understand what one another mean when we speak, when we, when we say something. When there's misunderstanding, what happens? Conflict. Or we hurt one another. We say things without meaning something, but it's received with a different meaning. Right? And we have that in all our relationships. You see, my wife and I, we really do come from completely different worlds. Completely different worlds. My mother-in-law shaking her head. She's been working hard on this boy for a little over 10 years now. We come from completely different worlds. Well, now, what does that mean? That means in order to understand my wife better, I need to understand her world better. I need to engross myself, or that's the wrong word, I need to soak myself in the Greek way of life. I am so happy that the Greek culture is one of eating and food and family and those good things. You can tell I'm immersed in the Greek culture. The best Greek words are the desserts, the baklava, the galadoburiko. Those are big words, but those are the ones you have to know to engross yourself in the culture. So I, I joke, but the point is this. I have to understand my wife and her, her cultural viewpoint, her way of seeing things, so that I'm, I understand what she means when she says things. I understand what she means when she doesn't say things. And likewise, she needs to engross herself in my way of thinking and my way of doing things, so that between the two of us, we, we see things from one another's perspective. And when I see things from my wife's perspective, I can make allowances. Now listen to me, if you understand and you think that my wife and I come from different worlds, how much more so do you and I come from a completely different world to where God comes from? Completely different realms. So when we get born again, we, the Bible says we get born from above, we get made a new creation, a creation that is not just flesh and blood, it's not just of this earthly realm, it's not just of this earthly world, but there's the divine that comes to live within us. There's something new that comes to take place. Now if I keep thinking about God according to my worldly understanding, guess what, I'm going to miss it. There's going to be misunderstandings. I need to begin engrossing myself, or what was the word I used? What's the right? Soak, sorry? Immerse, thank you, Craig. 
I need to immerse myself in the Word of God, in the thoughts of God, in the Spirit of God, so that I can begin to see things from His perspective. Because when I see things from God's perspective, I begin to make allowances for them. When I see things from God's perspective, I can evaluate my perspective according to the Word or the truth of God. Amen? Here's a principle that God dropped in my heart, and He did it early this morning. When you change the way you perceive things, you change the way you receive things. Write that down. When you change the way you perceive things, you change the way you receive things. And when you change the way you receive things, you change the way you respond to them. This is a spiritual principle that applies to every area of our lives. Let's start with money. When you change the way you perceive money, you change the way you receive money. And when you change the way you receive money, you change the way you respond to it. So, do I see all money that comes to me as good for eating, or is there some that needs to be seed? Just a simple analogy. What about people? The Bible says this, you receive a prophet in the name of a prophet, what shall you receive? A prophet's reward. If you... It has to do with how much value I place on somebody else. Are they experienced or are they inexperienced? Are they important or are they not important to me? Based on my personal prejudices, the way I perceive you determines what I'm able to receive from you. And what I am able to, and and how I receive things from you determines how I respond to what you say or what you do to me. Again, using, using my marriage as an example, because it's just a really poignant example, because it's an intimate relationship, just like the one we have with God. When I change the way my perspective concerning a certain area, perhaps of, let's say it's an area of conflict in my life or my marriage, an area, that, something that my wife does that, that annoys me, that I don't like, whatever the case may be. When I begin to change the way I see that thing and begin to see it perhaps from her perspective and understand why she does it that way, I don't take her doing that thing as offensive anymore. It no longer offends me. So what does that mean? My response in that moment is no longer to push away or to close myself off from, but my heart remains wide open. Do you understand? Now, so much of that is applies to our relationship with God. I mean, it applies to knowledge, whether we consider knowledge in relevant or irrelevant. The way we receive it determines what we do with it. Now, as I mentioned, last, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Andreas gave us a prophetic word. And I want us to, in light of what I've begun sharing with you in terms of the perceptions that we have when we hear the word of God, perhaps words that we've heard or teachings that we've heard for years and years on end, that God is wanting to shift and change a perception, our perception of Him, or perhaps concerning that word, our heart attitude in receiving, so that that perhaps same word can have a very different outcome based on how we receive it. I want you to just listen. I'm going to play for you some of the things Pastor Andreas said a couple of, a couple of weeks ago. Have a listen, because it's worth, it's worth being reminded of. And I sense there is a stirring that is coming. A stirring of the Spirit to bring about an awakening, a refreshing in your life. If you're open to it, if you seek it, 
if you desire it, if you are open to it, because there are new things that are coming that God wants to do in your own life, in your own personal walk with Him, and in the life of this fellowship. And God wants you to get ready. There is a beautiful verse of Scripture in the book of Isaiah that says, Behold, I will do a new thing. Shall you not know it? And there's a question mark. It's possible that we miss it. It's possible that we do not recognize it. And if you are not spiritually alert and awake, you will miss it. And we're going to look at that portion of Scripture today. Most of us are aware of it. You can't pour new wine into old wineskins. Uh, otherwise, the wineskin will burst and you lose the wineskin and the wine. It all goes to waste. But when God speaks about a new wineskin, what is he talking about? What does a wineskin represent? I believe the first thing he's talking about is a new wineskin comes through us being confronted with the Word of God. He calls us to catch his heart in a way that we haven't before, like I said, from a new perspective. I'm, I'm fully convinced at this stage, just in terms of, of where my thoughts and my meditations in the Lord have been going for the past few months, that the way we, that God is wanting us to re really look at and change and have a new understanding and a perception about even the way we see church, what church is, how we do church, how we relate to one another, the importance of unity and, and the brethren and the body of Christ. This is what new wineskins represent. Now look, a wineskin is just a container. It's not the wine, right? I mean, if you, if you enjoy wine and you put a good bottle of wine on the, on the, on the table... If it's got those Veritas stickers on it and it's got a few gold stars or platinum stars, you look at the bottle and you go, wow, this is fancy stuff, great vintage. This has won awards. This is good wine. Now, what, is the, what, is those, what do those labels and those stickers do? We don't go, sure, this is a fancy bottle. Wow. They glorify and they magnify that which is inside. The glass is just the container. Once we've poured the wine out and we've drank it, we don't keep the bottle as a memoir. That was a special bottle. No, we throw the bottle away. It served its purpose. It's done. And likewise, wineskins are just a container. They are there to contain something. But if they are, don't function properly, that which is inside becomes spoiled. You've heard of what it means when a wine bottle is corked. It means the cork has gone moldy, and the flavor of that has gone into the wine, and the wine is ruined. It doesn't matter how expensive that wine was. It doesn't matter how beautiful that, what vintage it was, how magnificent or wonderful that particular wine bottle was. If it's corked, it's ruined. And so much of our thinking today concerning God, concerning church, is corked. It's tainted or it's perverted by mindsets or perceptions that are not of God. They are not from God. 
And so what happens is all the, even the goodness that God wants to pour into us and pour out of us into the world becomes tainted. So what Jesus says in, this, in the passage of Scripture is that for a new wine, for a new infilling, for a new impartation, for the new season I'm wanting to usher you into, there needs to be a new wine skin, a new perception, a new understanding of the call of God, of what it is that God is saying to you specifically. I want you to understand I'm, I'm being very... I'm laying a platform this morning. I'm not being specific concerning your calling or what God is telling you to do or, or anything very specific like that. What I'm doing is hopefully stirring within you a need and an understanding to get into the heart and the face of God so that you can hear for yourself what it is that God is saying to you. New wine needs a new wineskin. To receive a new revelation, there needs to be a new way of receiving. You see, the revelation you have is based upon the thoughts and the effort and the, the practices that you've already and the beliefs that you've already embraced. You are walking in your beliefs. You are already walking in that which you truly believe. Now you can say, I believe in this, but I'm not walking in it. Well then, there's a, there's a problem there. There's a gap. Your, your experience has not yet risen to the level of your belief. More faith is required, whatever the case may be. But in order for something new to take place, if we're wanting something fresh from the Lord, if we feel I've been stagnant for a while, I've been stuck in this place, it's going to require something new to receive something. Remember, when you change the way you perceive things, you change the way you receive things. God is wanting us to change the way we perceive Him and the church so that we can begin changing that which we receive. And then once we change what we receive, the way we respond to them changes as well. It's interesting, before we read the scripture, that in all three accounts that the wineskin story appears, once in, Mark, in Matthew 9, it appears once in Mark 2, and it appears in Luke chapter 5, in all three Gospels, Jesus follows on from speaking about something that he clearly considers to be closely correlated to or associated with wineskins. Does anybody know what that is? You know, often we take little portions out of the Bible because for our own help they've put in little references and little headings. But it's written as one thing. And so often we take one little message out and ignore the context of that which is going on around it. Do you know that every single time Jesus talks about new wineskin and sewing a new patch onto an old garment, he follows on. That is a follow-on from talking about fasting. Did you know that? It's very interesting when you, when you, when you understand that. Because what he's really saying, he's talking about fasting, denying the flesh, waiting upon God, and then he talks about new wine. He talks about new wine skins. Let's read it together. Luke 5 from verse 33. Then they said to him, Why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers, and likewise those of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink? And he said to them, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast in those days. Then he spoke a parable to them. 
No one puts a piece of a new garment on an old one. Otherwise, the new makes a tear. And also, the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled. And the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved. And no one, having drunk old wine, immediately desires new wine, for he says, the old is better. I think so much of what we do day by day, week by week, in our, in our habits of working out our Christianity is saying, I like this old wineskin. I'm comfortable in the place where I am. I don't want to be pushed out. Don't, don't challenge me. I'm not really looking for uh, uh, confrontation. I'm not looking for adversity right now. I'm really comfortable in my space with the Lord. What is that representative of? That's old wineskin. That which is familiar. But new wine doesn't flow in that space. How much time do we spend trying to patch old garment, old garment thinking? What do I mean by that? We try to make sense of things that, that are going on around us, and perhaps even more, we try to make sense of things that are going on within us with our human reasoning. We try to understand, why am I feeling this way? Why do I feel this way about things that are going on around me? And we, we try to make sense of it and figure out why and search our motives and search our hearts. Sometimes what we do is we take a scripture and we, we, we patch it onto the confusion because it kind of solves one need in this little area, but it doesn't really transform. We patch our faith. We patch with a little bit of grace from here or a little encouragement from there. I believe what God is wanting is not patching. What God is wanting is transformation. New wineskin, not a new cork, <laughs> new wineskin completely. You see, what we have and know of God has brought us and sustained us to the point where we are today. But if we want to enter into something new, we're going to need something new. And this is where new wineskins come in. Personal change needs to take place. So much of the world around us today is focused on changing that which is outside of us. Where does God begin? God begins by changing that which is inside of us. Going back to my wife. I don't often complain to God about my wife. I don't often, I said. Sometimes I do, but I don't often complain to God about my wife. And you know why that is, I'm sure. If any of you have ever gone to God complaining about your spouse, what do you get? God always tells you how your attitude is wrong. God always tells you how you're doing it wrong, and that's why. So I've learned. My wisdom says don't complain to God about that. Rather say, God, talk to me about the situation. Because clearly I'm, I've, I've, I've learned that in my marriage, I'm the problem. Please mark that spot so we can take it out of the recording. I can't have my wife hearing that. <laughs> You see, the context of all I'm talking about today, folks, has a lot to do with perception. Remember, and I'm going to keep repeating this because I really want you to get it. When you change the way you perceive things, you change the way you receive things. The Bible says this, all things have been freely given to us through Christ Jesus our Lord. All things that pertain to life and godliness. Amen? 
Are, are you walking in the fullness of all of those things? Well, look, I'm not yet. If you are, come share some secrets with me. But I dare say most of us here this morning will acknowledge that we haven't entered into that full dimension yet, right? Now, is the problem that God is not given? Or is the problem that we have not yet learned to receive these things in order to walk in them? The problem is on our side. It's in our perception. It's in our perception of God. It's in our perception of that which He wants to give us. What shapes our perceptions? By and large, I would say it's our experiences, how we have been treated, and that's a very subjective thing because the way you treat me is very much dependent upon the way I perceive you treat me. Does that make sense? So maybe you treating me, for example, you may be out of love correcting me on something, on an attitude or a behavior that is wrong. How I receive that or perceive that determines how I receive that. So we keep going over the same thing. You understand the point that I'm making. But why is this perception thing so important? Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25, and we're going to look why. We're, I'm going to be referring to the parable of the talents. I'm not going to read the whole story but for the sake of time, but I'll just share the basics of it with you. Jesus tells a story about a wealthy man who goes away, and he leaves. He calls three of his servants over, and he hands them talents according to their measure of, of faithfulness and what, what he believes they can handle. So one he gives five, to the one he gives two, and to the other he gives one. And he comes back from this long journey, and he calls these servants forward, and he says, right, let's balance the books. What have you done with that which I have entrusted to you? And the one who he gave five talents to came back and said, you gave me five, I've traded with them, I've earned five more, here is what belongs to you, this is yours. And he said, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He then called the servant who he gave two talents to. And he said, what have you done with that which I've entrusted to you? And he said, you gave me two talents, my Lord. I traded with them. I worked with them. Here's another two talents. All of this is yours. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Here we join the story in verse 24. And I'll read from the New King James. Then he who had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. So take this talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Two things to take note of here. The way that the servant responded to his master was based on what? It was based on his perception of the master. Same master, three different people. One had the wrong perception, and therefore, because of how he perceived, what he received was tainted. And because of the way he received it, within fear, determined what he did with it. And what was the ultimate Accusation, you are unprofitable. Unprofitable. 
is that which we have received from the Lord in terms of His Word, in terms of His Spirit, in terms of the anointing and the calling that He has placed on our lives, is that being profitable to bring forth within us Christ-likeness and bring about in our environment kingdom change? Sobering question. Does my perception of God cause me to fling my heart wide open to Him? Or does my perception of God make me want to cower under a guilty conscience or anything like that? When we perceive God the wrong way, we receive from Him the wrong way. And when we receive Him the wrong way, we respond to Him the wrong way. This is where fasting comes in. Our perceptions, you could say, are like strongholds. They are like mindsets. And the Bible tells us what we need to do with mindsets, with everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of Jesus Christ. What do we need to do with them? We've got to tear them down. But how can you tear down that which you cannot see? How do you deal with perceptions that are not of God if you are unable to see them? The Bible calls them strongholds. They have a hold on you that is strong. So how do you begin to break that? How do you begin to identify these areas of your lives and address them? God gives us the answer. One of the ways, and one of the most powerful ways, is through the discipline of fasting. I realize that I am powerless to perceive God the right way in my own natural understanding. I've come to learn that I can't do that. I, in my own understanding, in my own reasoning, am unable to perceive God the right way. The Bible says, as far as His ways are above the earth, so far, as far as the heavens are above the earth, so far His ways above my ways. I can't understand Him. He is beyond comprehension. Folks, the moment I think I've, I've laid hold of, of God, then He's not God anymore. Is something that's been reduced to my natural understanding. So I need to approach him from the point of view, first of all, that God, I can't understand you. I can't perceive you the right way without your help. So what does fasting do? First of all, fasting silences the voice of the flesh. What is the voice of the flesh? It's human reasoning. It's my physical things that I long for. I begin starving the flesh. There's an old, old proverb that talks about uh, two wolves are fighting or two dogs fight. Which one wins? The one that you feed. And the point is this. If we feed our flesh, our flesh is going to gain ascendancy over our spirit man. The ways of thinking, fleshly ways of thinking are going to gain ascendancy. God calls us to deal with them by putting the flesh down and giving ourselves to the Spirit. I want, to, I want to say this to you about fasting. This is not entirely all about fasting, but fasting is not just abstinence from food. The, the abstaining from food helps us in our fasting. And it's also not just abstaining from food and then when I would have eaten, I now pray. It's, it's really not about that. What fasting is about is starving the flesh. Starving the flesh of what it wants. And instead of satisfying the lust of the flesh, I begin giving to that yearning in my heart for more of God. You see, every one of us have that. But sometimes that voice has become so dim that we can almost not hear it anymore. 
when Jesus wrote to the churches in the book of Revelation, and in Revelation 2, he writes to the church of Ephesus, and he commends them. He says, you guys are fantastic. In terms of ministry, you guys are second to none. You're doing all the right stuff. And I think today, as believers, many are doing all the right stuff. They've got the right habits in place. They've got the right disciplines in place. But they've lost that first love. Jesus says, go back and do those things that you did at first. Fasting helps us identify those things. So it starves the flesh. It changes us. Fasting is not something that changes God. Fasting is changes us. It enables us to see things from a different perspective. As we do not give ourselves to what we would usually give ourselves to, instead giving ourselves over to God in greater measure, guess what begins to happen? The way we think about things begins to change. Fasting prepares us for new wine. It helps us deal with our unbelief. When we spend time focusing on nothing else but the Lord, this is what begins to happen. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. And all of us with unveiled face, because we, sorry, and all of us as with unveiled face, because we continue to behold in the Word of God, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are constantly being transfigured into His very own image. In ever-increasing splendor, and from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Folks, I want to say to you that the Word of God is ever-transforming. Not that the Word of God changes. That's the same yesterday and today and forever. But the Word of God is ever-transforming in our lives. And the greater degree to which we give ourselves to that is the degree to which it will produce kingdom change within our hearts. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this from the Amplified Bible again. I appeal to you, therefore, brethren. Let's pause for a moment. Paul, in writing this letter, makes an appeal. What does that mean? An invitation, a request. And this is what he does. He says, and beg of you, in view of all the mercies of God, to make a decisive dedication of your bodies, presenting all your members and faculties as a living sacrifice, holy, devoted, consecrated, and well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable, rational, intelligent service and spiritual worship. Fasting helps us immensely in this area. He goes on. Do not be conformed to this world, fashioned after and adapted to its external, superficial customs. Let's put that a different way. Don't think the way this world thinks. Get God's perspective. But be transformed, changed, by the entire renewal of your mind, by its new ideals and new attitude, and I love this, that you may prove for yourself. Prove for yourself what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God, even the thing which is good and acceptable and perfect in His sight for you. God wants you to take the Word of God, the promises of God, the Spirit and the presence of God, and experience something for yourself. I don't know. If you think back to some of the messages that have been preached by some people from this pulpit, some of the apostolic guys over the past little while from Church of the Nations, 
something has really stood out for me. We had John Skoltz come earlier on in the year, and he basically gave his life story, and, it, and, and, and the whole thing, the crux of his message, was at the end of it all, after all these years, after everything I've been through personally and in ministry, I have one thing to say. It's all about Jesus. A few weeks ago, we had Tony Fitzgerald, the father of Church of the Nations, here. And he said, you know, I reached a point in my life where I couldn't do church anymore. If all, if all that this is is coming to meetings and hearing a word and singing a few songs and then going home again, I just I can't do that. I can't bring myself to that. There has to be more to it than just the mundane and the everyday. There has to be some kind of life-giving experience that I have with the living God on a daily basis that gives me reason to get up and get out of bed, that satisfies my soul, that burns within me, that's not mundane, it's not repetitive, it's not boring, like so much, come on, of what Christian life sometimes seems to be. But there's life in it. I'm stirred, I'm challenged, I'm motivated. And not only that, I am being so filled that it's beginning to flow over into my workplace. I can't shut up about the goodness of God. I hear a need and I have to, I have to struggle to restrain myself to go and say, hey, can I just pray for you or God loves you or why don't you come to church? And There's something in me that's burning, that's, that's brighter, that's life-giving where this is not just a pattern of behavior or a list of good things to do or, or, or a ticket to heaven, but where every single day my heart is filled afresh with the love of God and I am secure and at home in the heart of the Father. I don't need to prove anything to anyone. I don't have to strive to accomplish anything for significance because the, all of those needs are already met through my intimacy with Him. And out of the fullness of that flows something powerful and wonderful where the kingdom of heaven where heaven literally comes down and touches earth and people's lives are touched and transformed but if we want that you have to understand that our mindset our wineskin is going to have to shift from what we currently know what we're currently comfortable in and familiar with to allow for something that does not fit inside that box this is what God is calling us to. It's a beautiful call. It's a wonderful call. It's a call of God saying, I am pursuing you. And I'm wanting to do something in you to prepare you and make you ready for wonderful things that are lying ahead that I want you to see and I want you to experience, as it says here, for yourself. But it's going to take a new wineskin in order to receive this new wine. God is calling us to a season of changing our perceptions so that we are able to receive that which He wants to pour out and respond in the right way. I want to encourage you, over the next few weeks, set aside some time for fasting and for prayer. And I don't mean just this week. I mean, as we see out the rest of the, the, the next few months for this year into the, in, for, of this year into, into the next year, if you really are hungry and thirsty for a fresh outpouring, if you really do want to see 
God in a new way. Set yourself aside. Set yourself time. Why don't you take some of that leave that you're saving up? And if you want to, you're welcome to come and use the prayer room here at the church. We're here during the day. I'll try my best not to disturb you. And you just come and be alone with God. How you fast is entirely up to you. I don't want to... Some people love Daniel fasts. They love the whole 21-day thing. For me, that's just a lousy diet. I don't feel like I'm connecting with God anymore. I just feel like that, that's just, that's rough. It certainly is starving the flesh for me. But I find on a Daniel fast, I still go about business as usual, so my mind's not as focused. My preference is to take generally two or three days off and just go and fast for, for an extended period. And just be away and be alone and be quiet with God. That works for me. I don't know what works for you. Some people love Daniel Fasts. They find them so transformational. I, that's not, it doesn't work for me. I've tried it a couple of times. But whatever it is, whatever method, whatever formula you want to follow, you see, it's not about the formula. <laughs> it's about starving the flesh and saying, you know what, God, I'm willing to starve myself of personal gratification, personal comfort, because my hunger for you exceeds my hunger for personal comfort. As we begin to do that, say, God, show me what you see. Talk to me about my life. Talk to me about the things that lie ahead. Help me to see my, my spouse, my children from your perspective. Help me to see my colleagues from your perspective. Help me to see my church, my spiritual family from your perspective. You show me what's important. You show me, Lord, how to prioritize. You show me how to see my finances the way you see them. You show me how to manage my time the way you want me to. And see what God will begin doing in your life. So you understand the message I bring to you this morning. I, I, I know you're probably not going to leave here and go, I had this incredible revelation from God today. That's... <laughs> My heart's desire is not to come and give you some wonderful revelation. My heart's desire is to encourage you and nudge you into the place where the giver of revelation has time to speak and where our hearts are open to have our perceptions changed. Amen? Would you stand with me? We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.